All right, listeners, welcome back to Get Inspired and Innovate. On this episode, we're going to talk about future ready on purpose. So a lot of times we hear about uh, preparing students for the future and getting them ready for, for the future, but you have to be really purposeful if we're really going to prepare students for the future. So Stephanie, how are y'all being pur purposeful in your district about preparing your students for the future? So we kind of teamed up with Future Ready, um, I think it was three years ago, and that was kind of the start of that process, was signing up, getting information, getting PD about what Future Ready looked like, because a lot of our teachers, you know, taught the way they learn. It was more direct instruction, and we had to change their thinking and what education should look like. And so to do that, it took a lot of time, patience, professional development, and modeling. Um, I think a lot of times teachers just need to see it in action. And I mean, we started, you know, with flexible seating to now where kids, it's our norm. They walk in a classroom and they're used to seeing seats that are lowered or seats that are risen like bar stools. Um, they're just used to it now where before that was a huge change for a lot of our teachers. Um, also, we changed, you know, to blended learning. A lot of it was direct instruction and we moved to station rotation where students were traveling around the room. And then we also did more personalized learning because having technology in the room really changes your instruction. If you're going to use technology effectively, kids are not on the device the entire school day. If they were, they would be completely bored out of their minds. Um, and Teachers had to change quickly because technology is always changing. And I think technology really helped us become more future ready when we went one-to-one. -one. So how are you using it with your district, Lance? Yeah, so so first off, one of the questions that, that I always get when I'm working with the teachers is, how do you find out about all these tools, all these the flexible contents and the things you're using? And, and again, that's where I feel like that I have to talk to my teachers and be like, it's done on purpose. There's time that I have to set aside, you know, every week that I just go and I do research uh, and looking for the new tips and trends that are out there. But also I go to um, many different professional developments that I know are high quality uh, so that I can, can learn these things. So, you know, I, we've got our state TETC conference. I go to ICE every year. I go to a lot of ed tech events every year. And, and there's a lot of high quality uh there's a lot of high quality content and a lot of great presenters that are there. So I go and I bring all that back to the masses. So uh, we do, we do spend a lot on PD in our uh, school district and they do allow me to go to a lot of places, but they know that I'm going to come back and I'm going to re-deliver. Uh, and it's amazing is I go around and I, I do some Google trainings to other districts. The one thing that they never know about is the flexible content that's out there. You know, I talk to them about, you know, CK 12 or OER commons or open ed and they've never heard of them. And I just take it for granted that everybody knows it because, you know, our district's using it and all those things. So, you know, first off with, with that, uh, as you said, we, we are uh, working with education elements right now and we're looking at different modalities and things that we can use in our classroom. We do have a lot of flexible seatings going on. I had some parents come in the other day to one of our classrooms. They're like, man, this looks like a coffee shop. I think I could learn here. I'm like, exactly, that's what we're talking about. Now, this is the environment where you wanna learn, so why don't we put our kids in that same setting? And as you were talking about a second ago also, if we continue to teach the way that we were taught, we're preparing our students for our past, not even their present, which is then putting them two generations behind. So we have to 
again, on purpose, look for the trends in education. We've got to talk to our business leaders uh, and see what skills that our students need so that they are future ready. But we've got to start doing that right now. And that brings us to our guest today. Uh, we have an expert that is in this field. We have Dr. Mark Wagner. Uh, he is a former high school English teacher. Uh, he uh, served as the educational technology coordinator at, at the site level, at the district level, and at the county level. And he is the president and CEO of EdTech, which is a global network of educator technologists which provide professional development and consulting services to training institutes, nonprofits, for-profit uh, education company. So he's got a book that he's coming out with now. I love the title of the book. I've got into it just a little bit so far. Great book. I suggest you guys go out and pick it out. Pick it up. It's called More Now. It's a message for the future uh, for the educators of today. So Mark, thanks for being on the show with us. How can uh, just enlighten us with uh, where we can go with our teachers that are coming in to help our students become future ready. Sure. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a good broad uh, open-ended question. But thanks for thanks for having me on, and thanks for mentioning the book. Um, more now, it's very much a, uh, a collection of voices, so not just mine. But working with EdTech team over the last uh, well, 13 years has been an adventure, and and working with the the schools that we find ourselves in, and uh, working with the innovative educators that we we connect with, um, really has gone a long way to building our view of what's possible in schools. Uh, and I tried to capture as much of that as I could in the book and, and places where uh, I needed it. I brought in expert voices to, to sort of complement that. Um, interestingly, the, uh, the framework behind the book comes from uh, our early work uh, with the uh, Future Ready Schools, actually. Um, and it was a uh, credit to, uh, to James Sanders, who, who sort of came up with the phrase when he was working uh, as, a, as a presidential innovation fellow at the White House. Uh, in 2013 and when he came to work for us in 2014 we loved the concept and, and ran with it and uh, one thing led to another and it took us back into the political world and we ended up handing over the name uh, to the Alliance for Excellent Education and um, they, they built on a lot of their their 24 gears and and uh, everything that you guys have seen out of that um, but when in our early work we had a, a honeycomb that we built that you guys have probably also seen at this point through uh, EdTech Teams work um, and some of the early elements of the honeycomb were, were language that we picked up from our work with uh, Karen Cater, who was also at the White House uh, at the beginning of this process. And she's at um, uh, Digital Promise now, one of our partners in Dynamic Learning Project. Um, but uh, really, we're able to flesh out that, uh, that framework. And the, and the, the honeycomb is um, what you guys can can see if you if you go to edtechteam.com slash school change or if um, if you pick up the book uh, it really focuses on the idea that you you can't look at any one of these areas to move the needle you've got to look at all of them and th those are um, those are the things that we saw in schools and see in schools that we consider innovative that we consider making the most of what's available today uh, that we consider leading the way for the future. And the, and the things we see look very, very different at uh, different schools. But we see uh, courageous leadership, again, of different kinds, but all of these schools that impress us have some sort of courageous leadership on display, uh, empowered teachers. And uh, you guys have touched on a lot of these just in the stories you told to, to kick off the podcast. Um, focus on student agency, and, and maybe that really belongs at the middle of the model. 
uh, and ultimately uh, inspiring spaces. So uh, the learning spaces in these schools don't don't look like ordinary schools. These schools where we walk in and we have that feeling where it's like, oh, this is this is different. There's something special happening here. They're, they're typically not sitting in rows, you know, in, in desks listening to a lecture, right? Uh, the, 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 the learning environment has to reflect the culture of learning that they want in the school. Uh, and sort of at the base of the, of the honeycomb, the, the two bottom elements are that, uh, that robust infrastructure to support all that. And that's the technology that Stephanie was talking about. Um, everything from the network to the, you know, one-to-one -one devices to, you know, what, what apps and tools are they using, right? Um, and, and the sixth element being the engaged community. And that was something that sort of took us a while to realize how important that was because uh, the community could be a, a barrier or it could be a driver of change at the schools. So again, in our, in our philosophy, if we start engaging a school around, say, some professional development work, that's largely going to be focused on empowering teachers, we, we make sure to zoom out and look at the rest of that, um, that framework and, and, and ask the school, like, well, what are you doing for your, for your leadership? What are you doing uh, to focus on the student's agency? What are you, what are you doing about your spaces? Um, and listening to, to you start with spaces, Stephanie, you, you'll, you'll probably understand what I mean here is if you spend $40,000 per classroom on brand new flexible furniture and uh, there's no support for teachers in, in learning new pedagogy and getting feedback on that and time to practice, what they're going to do is arrange that furniture in rows and, and do what they've always done, right? And similarly, if you spend all kinds of money on, uh, you know, one-to-one -one Chromebooks or iPads or whatever, and then kids are sitting in rows with a Chromebook, they're not going to get much of a different experience than if they were sitting in rows taking notes, uh, you know, on paper. So it's looking at that entire, uh, entire framework and making sure that you're uh, affecting the culture of the school is really the only way you're going to get the, the change that you're looking for. So, you know, that, that model came out of our early work on, uh, on Future Ready. So hopefully it's a, it's a good answer to your question. Yeah, that was great. Um, I loved how you kind of said too, like, my boss is amazing. Um, his name's Ryan Seymour. And he has taken every excuse that teachers have came up with for to not be future ready. Yep. So like internet, okay, that was a barrier. All right, let's fix it. We'll make it faster. That's no longer an excuse for teachers. I can't log into programs. Okay, we've got class link now where students auto log in at auto rosters, no longer an excuse. And so we're taking all those excuses that teachers come up with and we're getting rid of it. And I think too with flexible seating, you don't have to go out and buy all this stuff. Your room has probably a ton of different options that you could create. Just like opening up the window and having sunlight come in is a huge help for students. Dimming the lights and not having those fluorescent lights all the time um, can really help some kids. Bringing up your desk, um, a lot of them, they can be adjusted to different heights. So just doing that, you don't need to go out and buy all of this furniture. A lot of yeah, grab some cinder is, blocks. <laughs> yeah, a lot of what we've done is, you know, from yard sales, you have to make sure it's fire, like fireproof and all that kind of stuff in the, um, not gross, like with the different texture of the different furniture. But there's so much free stuff that you could do just in your classroom with redesigning it that you don't need to spend a ton of money. Yeah. One, one yeah. thing that one thing we've tapped into is also our uh, CTE classes at our at our high schools. So we have uh, our CTE classes that are we, we get these milk crates and then they they cut out like blocks of wood for us that, that fit in those milk crates. But then they send them over to our home ec classes 
who are sewing covers and padding them and making cushions for them. So you've got a little milk crate with a, with a little top on it there that, that costs maybe five bucks. And you got a, a seat that a kid loves at that point. You know, yeah. You storage yeah. underneath it too. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, uh, we we put a book called The, the Space and Rebecca Harris, one of the uh, authors, and she has a real budget conscious approach to uh to inspiring learning spaces and it's it's one that uh, that appeals to me and it reminds me actually of um uh tanya Averith, who was one of our early summit hosts in um uh, just outside of montreal in quebec and she had a classroom that she converted and i think she begged her principal for 2500 bucks or something this was no forty thousand dollar classroom and you can certainly do it less expensively too but painted the walls white put up you know 15 dollar shower board as a whiteboard she uh, uh used the shop classes lance to like uh they built some custom desks that fit together in some interesting configurations and um you know, so she was lucky to have some support from the, the principal and, and lucky enough to have shop classes at the, at the school. But there's, you know, if you use what you've got, she brought in a coffee maker and, and spent most of the money, frankly, on a, a flat screen TV. And that became the white room. And it's still uh, the room that you know, after she's gone, still the room that kids want to hang out in, you know, at breaks and after school. And so you can, yeah, use the, the resources you've got around you. And Stephanie, when you talk about leadership at your school, Two of my favorite stories to talk about when it comes to removing barriers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, one is uh, uh, a guy named Ben Gray is an assistant superintendent in Illinois. And uh, years, several years ago, when his district was going one-to-one, uh, the teachers were afraid that they were going to be um, evaluated based on their teacher or their technology use, right? So he basically just removed that that fear, and uh, the leadership of the district got behind it. They they eliminated teacher evaluations for two years while they rolled out their one-to-one. Uh, and I, I think it's not a coincidence that last I heard they were going two to one uh, and they were, the kids were having tablets and, and laptops at the time. Um, and it, and it, the concept of that, that triggers for me was one I learned from uh, Stephanie Shipton in Hawaii uh, when she was working at the Department of Ed there. And she, she talks about policy infrastructure. So not just the wires and cables and spaces and so forth, but what, what are the policies that you can put in place to, uh, to remove those boundaries, right? She saw her job at the Department of Ed as, as removing the obstacles for, for innovation to happen at schools. And we maybe can't predict what it takes, you know, if you talk about future ready, we maybe can't predict what our kids are gonna need in the future, um, but we can certainly remove the obstacles to, to uh, innovation in schools and to schools being flexible to embrace things that are, are newly available to us, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Lance kind of hit on this earlier, but like our district is pretty innovative, I would have to say. Um, I go like to, yeah, I go to conferences though, like Lance said, and there's schools that have no idea. Mm. So is there any tips or tricks that you would su- suggest for those schools that need help with their leadership building or empowering teachers? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think kind of going back to my early days coming out of the, uh, the edu blogger sphere, if you will, or the edu blogger sphere is what they used to call it. And are the, uh, the idea that building your, your personal learning network online can be an, uh, um, a conduit for diffusion of innovation. Right. And you can be, instead of a lone nut on campus, you can connect to others outside. You, know, you say you're going to conferences, obviously you're in the innovator community and uh, you're producing a podcast. But um, that idea of, of curating a network of people that you can learn from and learn with and contribute to uh, over time is, is really powerful and can give you, that's probably the best source of tools to solve all sorts of problems because then you're not the only expert in the room, 
Uh, and we, we often joke about the 75 mile rule uh, in professional development, right? If you get 75 miles from your own school, you're, you're an expert. So you might've been saying the same thing to your principal for three years and then they bring somebody in from 75 miles away and it's like, oh, we'll do what he says now. Uh, and you know, he's saying the same exact thing as you. So um, that I, the, the sort of pragmatic part of that is, is get some help and bring in, bring in somebody from your network, right? That, that can, can make, that, uh, make that case to your, your local leadership. Uh, and, and I suppose to whatever degree you can encourage leaders to plug in too, because some of the most innovative superintendents I know are folks who participate in the soup chat every month and who are listening to podcasts, if not producing podcasts, mm-hmm. who are going to professional development events, um, you know, like, <laughs> like our summits and our leadership institutes and, um, future ready events and so on. It's the leaders that you find who are stepping outside the walls of their building and their district and, um, you know, allowing some of the world in and, and being open to it and flexible with it. That's, that's where it happens. So I think to any degree that you can, you can do that and model that yourself and be that, that uh, point of diffusion of innovation in your school and, and encourage that in others. That's, that's probably the, the biggest thing, I think. Yeah, I think that's true because I started out in my district and I was probably, you know, one of three teachers, you know, that we were innovative. And then it, if you don't have that personal learning network or in, connection with people, you kind of will stop because you don't have that support. But I think if you keep going, teachers see, oh, she's getting away with doing all these cool activities and the principal's not saying anything, and then it's okay. I think also the leadership with principals needs to grow and support innovation in the classroom and give support to those teachers that are willing to try because then it will catch on with other teachers because then they'll be like, oh, it's allowed. So I think a lot of teachers at first were like, are we allowed to do that? Is yeah. that okay to change, you know, am I, like they needed permission to be future ready. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've dislodged another memory for me, and I love telling this story, but it's, uh, I think it was 2006, I was at the, the ISTE conference, or the NECC conference at the time, and I heard a guy from Australia, Tom March, uh, speaking, and uh, he was talking about all this great stuff he was doing with, with blogs and wikis and podcasts and so forth, and uh, Will Richardson was on the same panel, I think, but um Somebody asked Tom, like, what do you say to teachers who, um, you know, are in school districts where this is not allowed? And a lot, a lot of times that is just fear that it might not be allowed. But even if it's not allowed, he didn't miss a beat. And he just said, be subversive. Uh, and and he, uh, he, he elaborated, but those sort of two words always stuck with me. But the idea that you, you want to do it first and show them how awesome it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and obviously there's some degree to which like if you've been told not to do something, you, you want to, uh, you know, be respectful of that, but don't feel like you need to get permission for everything you want to do. If you've got some cool ideas and you see it's working with you know, colleagues in your PLN that you're networked with, like try it out in your school, see if it works. If this is what we talk about when we talk about risk taking and failing forward, you know, it might not go right the first time, but when you start seeing some great work out of kids or you start seeing some new energy in the classroom, you know, then you can invite people in. Um, and share the story of what's happening and, and hopefully spread that at your school, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mark, one thing that, that I would like for us to talk about for a second is the, the engaged community here. Uh, I, know, I know for us where, where, I, where I live at, uh, we've got Tennessee Tech, which is a heavy STEM um, engineering-based uh, university in our district. Uh, we have uh, an academy sports distribution center that, that just moved in uh, in the last two years. We have Amazon. Uh, has moved part of their headquarters now here to Tennessee, a little spot here. Um, and we've got all of that influencing us. 
Uh, and, and a lot of times we try to get things in line and in place, but we noticed, I think sometimes we try to skip that community part. And we saw that one, when we did that, we weren't really preparing our kids for the jobs they were going to be doing. We weren't talking to those people that were providing those jobs. So therefore we weren't giving those students the skills they needed to be ready. But also when we started trying to make some shifts, we didn't communicate well enough to our community to let them know what was going on. And we got a little bit of pushback. So, so what, what, what's your advice on, you know, getting this engaged community going? Yeah, the way I, the way I usually see it is if you've, you could be doing all this innovative stuff in your, in your classes, right. And you're doing project-based learning and group work and, you know, uh, kids are collaborating and publishing and so on. But if you've got a, uh, uh, you've got a parent walking into a classroom and expecting to see quiet kids in rows, there's going to be some dissonance there. Right. So you want to, you want to manage expectations at the very least, but ideally if you've got parents on board with what's possible in schools, right. Like, um, when we're doing a big initiative with a, with a district, we'll, we'll recommend doing a, particularly if it's a launch or something like this, do a community gala and, and explain what, you know, what your plan is, explain what the program is, show off the technology. Um, one of my favorite stories is Monica Martinez being brought into a district in, in Texas to, uh, to train the parents. It was when they went one-to-one with iPads a few years ago. Uh, but the idea was then the parents knew what was possible and they actually became drivers for the change at the district because, you know, for better or worse, if they're saying like, hey, my kid's third period teacher is doing this, but their fifth period teacher isn't like, why isn't that happening? Right. Uh, why isn't my kid bringing this sort of stuff home on their iPad? Uh, and then the, the parent, you know, you're, you're again, for better or worse, because <laughs> there'll certainly be people in schools that don't want this. But having the parent then sort of driving the change and asking for the change is, is important. And in that particular case, I think it was West Laco in, in uh, Texas, the, uh, the teachers ended up asking for more PD because the parents had, uh, had been better informed and knew what they wanted. Right? right. And so one thing, I work for a virtual school also inside of a public school. Part of what we do is we provide options for middle school and high school students they normally wouldn't get, um, you know, in their face-to-face classes. Makes sense, yep. Um, so at our middle schools, um, it's been about three years ago now, there was one of our middle schools that was all bought in and uh, wanted, to, wanted to really push this out, and we started offering like eight high school classes at the middle school level uh, at his school. Um, and he wanted to do it, we did it. At the other schools, we were only offering two or three, and then all of a sudden, we started getting all of these parent phone calls well, why are they able to do it at this school and not that school? Well, and we, so we had to just step back and say, we're just here to provide options for our kids and what the principals want to do with these options. That's their choice. But because of that now, we've seen it grow everywhere. So uh, I, I believe, awesome. uh, yeah, I believe, uh, believe in what you're saying there, you know, uh, your, your parents can push it one way or the other, uh, but be ready for that when, when it starts. Uh, one other thing that I like to say with that is, you know, I always tell people with, uh, with their social media, you, you want your schools active on social media and they don't understand it at first, but I always tell them, I said, if you're not telling your story, who is telling your story? Mm-hmm. Is it an accurate story? Okay. Is it the message you want pushed out? So feel like those are all valid points there. Yeah. Just a, another thought on, on engaged community too, because you said something earlier about talking to the, uh, or at least the, what I took your meaning to be was talking to the businesses in the area and seeing what skills they need for kids. But, but that's also a great way to get partnerships involved, right? To get, let, uh, I talk a lot about uh, like permeable classrooms, right? Like let some of the world in and let some of the students work out. So um, having, 
people in industry come in and, and provide some educational value to the kids, uh, if not mentoring and having uh, kids work, sometimes have a real impact out in the community. Uh, my, my kids are well into school now in turn, they're sixth and fourth grade. They're starting next month uh, or the end of this month. But, um, you know, I remember before they started school, I was like, okay, I got, I got a couple of years to crack this nut. It's turned out to be tougher to crack. But the concept is like, kids go to school for 12, 13 years and they're turning papers in and twiddling their thumbs and waiting to get grades back from their teachers. That's a big waste of, of uh, you know, man hours or whatever the, the right term is these days. Uh, whereas that work could count for something. Why are they not doing, and it, it could be as simple as community service, traditionally speaking, but why are they not solving real problems in the community and doing real work for small businesses or whatever the case might be, especially at the high school level? Like how are, how are those kids not helping out the, the entrepreneurs in the area? And what a, what a beneficial thing that would be in, in both directions, right? Exactly, exactly. So, so one, of the, one of the quotes here I see with your book is, school change is not easy but it's necessary to prepare today's students for tomorrow's world. Um, so change is always hard. What, what, is the, what, what are the harder changes that you're seeing in education as, as you're traveling and the EdTech team is, is traveling and training people uh, for the future? Well, I think the fundamental one is not something that's changed over the last decade. Like the fundamental change is a power shift and a shift in agency from the adults uh, who were the dispensers of knowledge, right, to the students who are consumers and users of it. Uh, and, and moving that to the point where, you know, our attitude needs to be more like approaching students and saying, again, particularly at the secondary level, but even at the elementary level, and, and my wife taught kindergarten, so I've got some stories about this, but going to kids and saying, what, what do you want to learn? Like, you've got me and all the resources of the school at your, at your disposal, because that's what ultimately is going to give them the skill set they need to address whatever the questions are in the future, whatever the problems are that they're addressing uh, in the future. And it's actually funny you say that. Every time that we talk to our middle school parents um, about taking these options that we provide at the middle school level, it's so when you go to high school, it wasn't like when I went to high school, it was Lance Key, here's your schedule, go to class. It's now, what do you want to do? What do you want to learn? Okay, let's see if we can build you a path so that you can do that. All right, so our next section is our memes and quotes. So Mark, what quote or meme did you bring for today's show? Oh boy, I don't have it in front of me, but uh, I think it was, uh, I often tell uh, U2 stories or Star Trek stories, but, um, for this one, I went with the uh, Avatar, The Last Airbender. If you guys don't know the animated show, it was, uh, boy, when you see fa say family show, this is truly it. Like it was, it was uh, a kid's show, but really a lot of adult themes and a lot of appeal for, for the adults too. And there's this one uh, character who's the uh, uncle of, of um, one of the, the uh, young kids that goes through a, a really redemptive character arc about the, uh, the uncle is always spewing surprising uh, wisdom, but there's one particular scene where he's explaining to one of them that uh, if, you, if you look for the light, you can often find it. But if you look for the dark, that's all you will ever see. So he's not saying if you look for the light, you'll always find it. You know, it's not unrealistic, but, uh, but there's some real truth that if you look for the dark, you, you will always find it. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and sort of finding uh, the hope in the situation and finding the bright spots in the situation uh, you maybe have to look for them, but uh, but you might very well find them if you do. And, and I think that's a good approach to 
uh, showing up in schools every day, but a good approach to building on what's working in schools and looking looking to the future. So maybe maybe relevant to what we're talking about too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so true. Like about perspective. Um, so mine is I've seen the light as an instructional technology coordinator. You often work with some teachers that are against technology, and then you're like, finally they see it, and they're so excited to use it. Um, so that was mine for today. And then Lance, well, it seems to sort of play off what I was saying too. And if you look at that, uh, uh, you know, innovative use of technology in schools as the light, you know, if, mm -hmm. if you if you look for it, you might find it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so if you if you listen to some of our previous episodes, one thing that you'll find out is Stephanie has not seen a lot of classic movies. So we're, we're making her a list currently right now. Uh, on, I don't know if it was our last episode or the episode before last. She did, she's never seen Kindergarten Cop and didn't recognize Arnold in, in my meme. So, so Stephanie, before I share my meme, do you recognize this movie and who this person is? No. Oh, Stephanie, Stephanie. <laughs> okay, so, so this meme is from Bad Teacher, and this is Cameron Diaz in, in the picture. So this is another movie. If you have not seen this movie, Stephanie, you need to go see this movie. So the, the meme, though, is, and this is me and, and my wife every day. Student says, why do, you, why do you have coffee every day? Will you die without it? And, the, and she looks at him and says, no, but you might. So... Uh, that's me and my wife. Anytime you ever see us at school, it doesn't matter if it's in the morning or the afternoons, we'll have a coffee cup in our hands and walking around and the kids, the kids make fun of us a lot about it. So Stephanie, that's another movie we're adding to your list. Okay. What about the Goonies? Have you seen the Goonies, Stephanie? I have not. I don't have time what? to, I don't have time to watch movies cause I'm too busy with listening to podcasts. <laughs> we're well, if, if you need to prioritize something, uh, you might prioritize Goonies over kindergarten. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. But but still, that's you need to watch it. You need to watch it. And because it's a list, Lance knows I will do it. That's right. Because it will have to get crossed off. And I'm going to get Kyle to help me make it, and we can put all kinds of cool little checks and points in there for you. There you go. Game of deadlines. deadlines. There you go. All right. So let's move on into our last section, uh, something that we've learned this week that's innovative for tomorrow. So, Mark, what have you got for us today? Well, I, I don't know if this really meets the criteria, but I, I had to do uh, just real minor video editing uh, for some of our social media this week, and uh, I'm on my uh, Chromebook, so I ended up uh, looking at some alternatives, and it was fun to play with the, the web-based alternatives like WeVideo or even uh, YouTube's video editor, and then to be able to uh, look at some of the Android alternatives, which in some ways are sort of uh, simpler and easier and local, and uh, even backing off to an old favorite um, uh, Linux app with, uh, with uh, OpenShot, and being able to, uh, you know, uh, just edit video locally in a, in a Linux app that's uh, open source and freely available. So in, in the end, for what it's worth, for just the simple trimming that I wanted to do, Google Photos turned out to be the best, <laughs> the Android app. Yeah. So mine this week is Wakelet. Um, I thought people knew about Wakelet, but I just went to a conference and a lot of people were like, what is this? So mine is Wakelet. I think everybody should check this out. It just helps you take all the resources and put them all into one spot. Um, I also love to do it with Twitter chats or Twitter hashtags, and you can collect all those tweets together. Um, that's probably my favorite way to use it. Lance, what's yours? Well, I'm still learning Wakelet. You gave it to me a couple of months ago and I'm, I'm slow rolling it, okay? So okay. stay off of it. <laughs> yeah, there's your list. There's mine's my movie. List. There you go. <laughs> all right, so, so the one that I've got for you today is, it's called Download All the Images. It's an extension. Love this extension, uh, multiple, multiple different ways you can use it. One, I had to download a whole thing of pictures 
uh, off of Facebook the other day. And uh, it's like, you know, it's going to take forever to do this. I found this extension. If you let it load in your browser, uh, this extension will go and grab every image and download every image into a zip file for you. Or if you just want to go to Google image search and search all the images, it will download all those images that's on the page. Uh, so I use that a lot uh, for both of those instances. Also uh, use the eLearning Brother cutouts a lot. Uh, and they've, they've got all their cutout images so that you can uh, create fancy looking PowerPoints and stuff like that, or should I say Google Slides presentations. And uh, you can animate them then and make them move around. But to download each image just takes a while. So download all the images allows you to go and grab every image that's on the website and just download it all. So let it load, click the button, and it does the magic for you. That's cool. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Get Inside and Innovate. How can people connect with you, Mark? Oh, Twitter's always good. I'm just at Mark Wagner uh, or Mark at edtechteam.com. Uh, they, can, they can come by the site too, edtechteam.com, and find us that way. Um, we hope you were able to get some ideas on how to create a future-ready classroom. And if you need any more support, I'm sure any one of us would be more than happy to connect with you and give you some ideas. Also, if you okay, if you sign the Future Ready Promise, ahead, there's a man. lot of free conferences that they offer too, and they are more than willing to support you too. It's a free conference. Um, we have it in Ohio. I think they travel along the different states, so it's a great organization to get along with um, when you're first starting out. All right, thanks for listening.